Exciting news, listeners. Saturday, October 28th, 2023, the first fertility and sensor conference occurs in New Braunfels, Texas, between San Antonio and Austin. It is a full day of fertility information, not just from the fertility docs, but from other fertility specialists, nutritionists, alternative medicine practitioners, and more. Go register today at fertilitydocsandcensor.com. Tickets are a hot commodity. If you act fast, you can get access to the VIP event that night. See you soon. For this episode, we've partnered with Needed, the leading women's health supplement brand recommended by nutritionally trained practitioners. Did you know that 95% of women who take prenatals are still nutrient deficient? Most prenatals are designed to meet bare minimum needs, not to optimally nourish you. We love that Needed's products are based on the latest clinical research and that they focus on care before, during, and after pregnancy. Get optimal nutrition and save 20% off your first month at thisisneeded.com with code FDU. You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Carrie Beanian with the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, starting off another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. And I am joined by my two sizzling hot, because the weather is freaking hot right now. Yes. Uh, Amen. Dr. <laughs> Abby Eblen, who looks delightfully refreshed in a beautiful pink and red flowery shirt. And she just looks so lovely, like she is a blooming rose in the middle of the summer. Thank you, Carrie. Hi, everybody. Great to be here. <laughs> and then also joined by Dr. Susan Hudson, who is our lovely, sprouting, flowery, delightful uh, Texas partner. Hello. It's hot as hell here too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm melting. And today we are joined by Ryan Woodbury. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about all of her, you know, credentials and her stuff in a minute. But the the short list is she is a holistic nutritionist and she's a CEO and co-founder of Needed. Um, and we'll go into that in a minute. But Ryan, you were telling us that you have been working from a young age and you had a job in middle school that uh, the three of us, I don't think, had ever considered that someone would have, particularly not in middle school. In middle school. Yeah, that's what's so mm-hmm. interesting, too. Yeah, I was. Um, I So my first job, if you look back, I worked um, in an aquarium uh, for a couple of years in middle school, uh, cleaning fish tanks and helping with <laughs> um, kids educational tours. And I was, you know, a super outdoorsy kid, loved the beach, loved the ocean. So it was a delight, um, I think, as a kid to be there. And I think really kicked off like an interest in kind of environmental related issues that ultimately led me to an interest in human health, because I believe like environmental and human health are are so interconnected and realized I got a lot of people to care about some of the esoteric marine science things that I liked through making the connection to, you know, human health. So what was one of the coolest things that you did at the aquarium? Probably, I mean, I got to go out with the head aquarist scuba diving on a couple of occasions to actually pick Ooh. up samples of... That's pretty um, darn cool when you're in middle school. <laughs> yeah, of different, um, I guess, animals and... Um, and plants for the aquarium. So That's we would cool. actually, the aquarium showcased everything that was in the Santa Monica Bay and um, everything was kind of harvested from there as well. So that was a pretty cool way to spend a 
work day. So when you go to aquariums now, do you do you kind of look at it with a critical eye of, oh, I bet <laughs> I know where they got this plant or that fish, or I know why they put these fish together? I wish. I wish I had retained more of the like <laughs> specific information. I'm like, I was, I brought my daughter to the aquarium I used to work at um, a couple months ago. And, you know, my husband was quizzing me on different things. And I was like, oh gosh, like I just, I don't remember the name of this fish. Like I used to know, but it's just like, it's not it's there anymore. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of other important information is replaced on information now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, fish aside, Susan, <laughs> any questions for today? We do. We got a couple of them. Okay. So our first one is, Hi, Fertility Docs. My wife and I love your podcast and can't thank you enough for all you do. We've recently had two unsuccessful IUI cycles with donor sperm, letrozole, and ultrasound monitoring. We're wondering if our RE is missing the ideal timing. In both cycles, my wife's follicle measured 15 to 17 millimeters during a mid-cycle ultrasound, but she was told to no trigger for several more days so her follicle would measure around 29 to 30 millimeters. Mm. From doing some reading, it seems like this follicle may be, quote, overmature or otherwise not ideal. What do you think? Should we be triggering earlier? Is there such a thing as a follicle that is too big? Thanks again. I just worry that if you waited two or three days, that 15 to 17 millimeter follicle may have already released. So I would say, you know, I think the three of us would probably bring you in, look with ultrasound and check and see what the size of the follicle was. And if it wasn't ideal, maybe bring you back the next day or, or two days at most later, because you just worry if you if you wait too long, you're going to release the egg and it's it's going to be out of the window that it can be fertilized. When you go to the question about overmaturity, um, a lot of overmaturity discussions come from IVF when follicles got really big and they saw decreased pregnancy rates. But that was also with only fresh transfers. And that is a different environment than when you do it with a frozen transfer. So when you separate that out, we find that it's really hard to get overmature follicles, even with IVF. And with IUI, let's say, let's say you are waiting too long to trigger. Your body is is going to trigger itself. And so you will have that positive feedback system that kicks in the hormones that signal ovulation. And so it may mean that you miss the window, but you're not going to have a post-mature egg as a result of it. You're just going to miss the window. Yeah. I mean, the, this question I think is specifically looking at, you know, donor sperm IUI. And so the fact that you're really not yeah. going to have sperm exposure except mm-hmm. for the moment of your insemination, I, I would be concerned that just like Carrie said, that you're actually ovulating sometime between the time of your ultrasound and the time that you're actually getting there. Um, I mean, I, I would think that most people would consider somewhere between 18 to 24 millimeters. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's a six millimeter difference, but somewhere yeah. in there, you're going to have a pretty darn good chance of having a mature egg and waiting until 30 is, I, I think that's stretching it, especially for someone who has unique sperm exposure to the IUI. Mm-hmm. And using ovulation predictor kits sometimes is a way to bridge that gap because mm-hmm. if you discover it's positive, you call your clinic that day and and get in usually the next day um, mm-hmm. for the IUI and, and that can that can save the timing a little bit more. All right. All right. Next question. One more. Hi, thank you for your amazing podcast. It is so informative and helpful. My right tube is blocked, but all other tests came back good for myself and my husband. We started the first round of IUI only for it to be canceled. I took five days of Clomid and at the ultrasound after the meds, I only had one follicle on the left at 12 millimeters. I came back two days later and it was the exact same. My doc canceled the cycle and didn't want to do more meds because I have a factor five Leiden and was worried about blood clotting. I am going in for a progesterone test this week to see if I 
IUI ovulated at all. Do you think I can stick with IUI if I am ovulating or do we have a better chance with IVF? Thank you so much. So the answer is yes and yes to both of them. <laughs> yes, I think you can stick with IUI and yes, I think you will have a better chance with IVF. Um, but they're not necessarily related. And so, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about the success rate differences between those two things. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, your success rate probably is higher with with IVF if you're looking at one for one. But um, but if you want to keep trying, you know, there's other medication combinations you can use. And, you know, you may be able to go up on the dose depending on what dose of med you started on. And you know, different people handle it different ways. Sometimes they'll bump up the dose immediately. Sometimes we have to wait and get a period to let things reset. But, you know, I think I think you can give it a shot. I mean, not knowing all the details, but it seems reasonable to me. Yeah. And with the factor five Leiden issue, one thing I would think about is maybe, you know, and everybody handles this a little differently as well, but if you've never really had a deep venous thrombosis or clot, um, you know, I usually just put patients on 81 milligrams of aspirin. Um, You know, unless you ovulate, your estrogen is really not going to bump up significantly or that significantly high that we probably have to worry about clotting. And so the argument to bump you up on your dosage wouldn't be that we think you're just going to increase your clotting risk because you got to, you got to have an egg ready and you've got to ovulate. And so if you if you don't ovulate, your estrogen level is not going to be very high. So I think putting you on 81 milligrams of aspirin would be perfectly fine. And if you want to continue on Clomid, I would bump you up to, you know, one pill, two pills, and then, you know, potentially three pills and even more um, if you need that. And even considering, I mean, like Abby said, I mean, just a history of Factor Five Leiden without a personal history of clot really is relatively inconsequential. I mean, we we care and it's good for us to be aware of it. And yes, you're at a uh, higher risk than the average person, but still the likelihood of there being an issue is pretty low. And again, our goal is to get you pregnant, which this your state in pregnancy of risk of clotting is going to be a lot more than anything (laughs) we're ever going to do in an IUI cycle. Um, You know, and so maybe considering instead of Clomid, maybe switching to something like Letrozole, um, where we help keep your estrogen levels down. Mm -hmm. You can use Letrozole with a little gonadotropin to kind of bump things up. But your doctor's going to have to push it a little bit because we got to get an egg mature and that mature egg is going to produce estrogen. And so it, we have to go in that direction. So um, I, I would keep on going, you know, if IUI, if otherwise we have otherwise good factors, I think IUI has a reasonable chance. But just like Carrie said, IVF is always going to give you a better chance, but it's the right thing for some people. It's not the right thing for others. Totally agree. All right. So Susan and Abby and I are really excited about this topic uh, for purely selfish reasons. And so <laughs> um, we are joined today by, as I said, Ryan. Ryan Woodbury, who is the co-founder and CEO of Needed, and is, her background is as a, a holistic nutritionist. And so, whenever we have a guest who has the ability to speak to some of the pharmaceutical stuff that we do, we just eat it up because we get the training, but you you tend to know a lot more of the details. So, um, today we're going to focus more on prenatal vitamins. And so tell us, tell us a little bit about how you got where you are now, and then we'll start diving into details about vitamins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the quick summary is you heard on, you know, first job related end of things, I uh, long time interest in environmental marine science. I thought I was going to go somewhere in that direction. I studied environmental science in school, started with a little bit more of a marine angle, but it ended up moving into food systems. So a lot of work around 
regenerative agriculture and teaching kids about nutrition through um, school-based farming classes effectively. Um, Ended up uh, spending some time in finance thereafter. Long story of, you know. Very different track there, huh? Very different (laughs) track. A lot of professors that like, you know, they were really not happy that that's the the path I went from um, (laughs) environmental science to, uh, you know. From one grain to another grain. Yeah. Yeah, um, but ended up, I think, really, you know, going to grad school to get back to kind of closer human health and environmental health related initiatives. Met my co-founder, Julie. We are we were next door neighbors our first year um, of business school. And both of us connected around sort of longtime kindred kindred spirits, effectively, that even though we'd been, you know, working in finance, we were spending most of our time on the side doing extra nutritional trainings and things like that. And we were beginning to think about motherhood. And we're optimizers when it comes to health and nutrition. And I think began just learning everything that we could. Um, And a lot of this started with doing some pretty extensive nutritional testing to really understood where, where, where we were at as a baseline when a lot of that um, at home nutritional testing became a lot more accessible. Um, Dr. Carey, do you have a question? So, so I was going to say where, when we're looking at the, the back of a prenatal vitamin bottle, they've got all of the RDAs, the recommended daily amounts, I think. Um, And so where, where do those, those numbers come from? Because that's what most of us are looking at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is exactly what we uncovered. So the basics was through this nutritional testing, we were shocked to find that we were hugely deficient nutritionally. And at this point in time, we were like taking some supplements here and there, like a standard, you know, whole foods bought prenatal but not doing extensive supplements, but we were doing everything right, at least we thought food-wise of farmer's market shopping and you know eating really high quality things. So we were pretty shocked to find that we were highly nutritionally deficient, not just in a single nutrient, but across a whole host of others. So and how did you find you're far from along alone. So how did you find that out that you were nutritionally deficient? Through some pretty extensive nutritional testing. And um, so both through at-home tests and then working with some naturopathic and functional medicine doctors to run more um, complex panels once that like kind of at-home tests indicated there could be some problems. So went and hmm. sought some more expert advice. And really what we saw is that we were far from alone when we dug into the research that despite 97% of women taking a prenatal during pregnancy, research indicates that 95% of them are nutrient deficient and a lot and at least wow. a couple of key nutrients that are critical for a optimally healthy kind of pregnancy for mom and baby. What and are some of those top to, nutrients? Um, omega-3s, choline, magnesium, B12, um, selenium, the list goes on, but the, those are the ones that have some uh-huh. of the, the highest um, deficiency rates. Oh, and vitamin D as well. Yeah. <laughs> vitamin D is a big one that we see in That's everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everyone seems to be deficient in vitamin D as well. Yes. Vitamin C and a lot with vitamin A. Those aren't as regularly tests, but um, yeah, there's a long list. And effectively to Dr. Carey's question, a lot of this we think one of the core problems is that supplements are for the most part designed around the RDAs, which is a government standard set back in um, World War II in the 40s. Wow. Um, hmm. Yes, that was World War II. Uh, and <laughs> I just wanted to date check myself for a second. Um, and uh, really to help kind of 
and make sure soldiers had basic nutritional levels. And they had so not women. Had- women were not involved. Pregnant women were not involved in those <laughs> RDAs is what you're it saying. Was an, it was an estimate for pregnant women based off of body size, but they were not heavily mm-hmm. involved in setting them, nor was the mindset of like, you know, pregnancy being a Unique. heavily nutritionally intensive time of yeah. life. It was instead, again, how do you avoid a disease condition? So much more of the like, how do you not get scurvy for vitamin C <laughs> versus how do you have enough vitamin C such that your like tissue ligaments can be move enough as your pelvic floor expands um, during pregnancy and birth are very different kind of sides. Yeah, of the absolutely. So not too many found- scurvy in this day and age. we found just the core underlying kind of philosophy to be um missing the mark and not what we wanted for our pregnancy so that i think started a self-process of just talking to as many practitioners as we could that knew a lot more about nutrition and just understanding what they were Mm -hmm. doing instead and what we found is there were a wide set of practitioners that recommended recognized this deficiency with standard prenatal vitamins and instead we're recommending much bigger protocols to their patients but oftentimes these were <laughs> protocols of you know 12 different bottles across six different brands yeah. so very clunky and hard for um, a consumer to reach unless they were working with a very specialized practitioner or they were super sort of dedicated to their nutritional regime. So with your product, because I was looking at this and I was really interested in this, tell us how you, what your delivery system is. I thought it was really unique the way you guys have designed that. Yeah. So basically we have our, um, our core products, I guess started with a prenatal multivitamin. We started with a powder, really, because a powder that you can blend into smoothies or oatmeal and kind of helped showcase the story of uh, it holds the most nutritional kind of levels such that we could get everything that we wanted into that powder. We ended up later creating a capsule version, but it's eight capsules, which aren't always um, appealing for everyone. So a lot (laughs) of it comes down to the education of like, hey, if you want optimal choline amounts or magnesium amounts or calcium amounts, these are very bulky nutrients. Mm And we can promise you if you're taking a two capsule prenatal, you're not going to get anywhere close to optimal levels. So how much liquid do you need to dissolve that the amount of powder that you would do? I'm like wondering, yeah. like, can, can you like mix it in with like orange juice or your coffee or do you have to actually eat something? Um, we do recommend just with heavy kind of minerals and vitamins that you probably want something else in your stomach versus an mm-hmm. empty stomach. So we do recommend eating it with a meal. Mm-hmm. But um, I... Let's see. I would say like an eight ounce glass of like almond milk is what I usually would like. If I if it's a morning, I don't want to make a smoothie. Like I think it tastes great. Like an eight ounce glass of almond milk. It's mm-hmm. vanilla flavored. So mm-hmm. I guess for some people, an orange juice, maybe it would taste good as sort of like a creamsicle orange. And then <laughs> I do know um, in coffee and cream, some will put it in. A lot of people like it in yogurt or oatmeal. Um, I'll mix it in with peanut butter sometimes. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Mm, yeah. That sounds pretty flexible for getting it in whatever you can tolerate yeah. at any given mm-hmm. moment. And Yeah, a lot of people mm-hmm. find it just like a lot more pleasant than taking capsules and a good yes, solution absolutely. for, you know, when you're nauseous and other things and sort of as an alternative of, you know, gummies are very pleasant to take too, but you just 
just can't pack enough um, nutrition into the matrix. And a lot of certain nutrients like minerals really aren't stable in a gummy matrix. So Hmm. you're not going to be able to get um, high enough kind of quantities of some of those important items in a gummy. You know, I think patients really don't realize because a lot of times at a, when we see them or when I see them for their second ultrasound in about eight weeks, I'll be, you know, I was mentioned, you know, around 11 or 12 weeks, bone starts to form in your baby and you really need to make sure you get some calcium because you don't get that in your prenatal vitamin. I haven't met a patient yet who wasn't just dumbfounded. They're like, you mean we don't have calcium in our prenatal vitamin? I mean, you're going to build a baby and build the baby's bones and you would think that you would have that, but you sort of answered the question. It sounds like it's just too much to pack into just one one or two capsules, basically. Calcium's super bulky. So yeah, it is one of those that often gets left out of prenatals or it's there in just like a real really minute dosage. Um, Like we have 200 milligrams of calcium in ours, and that is only um, 15% of the daily value. And again, the daily value is rooted in kind of a translation from the RDAs. So it is looking at things from a minimalistic level. And the reason that we only put 200 in ours, and that is a lot higher than other prenatals, but obviously not approaching the full RDA is because there are limits to how much you can absorb um, Mm -hmm. in a single setting. So we wanted to be under those limits. And some, depending if they don't eat enough um, dairy-containing nutrients, could benefit from a second, you know, dosage of calcium at another point in the day. So how do you how do you check and confirm that all these things you're putting in the prenatal are absolute that are actually getting absorbed? Because I remember, you know, learning across all the years, like there's only so much of certain things that you can take at one time because they're gonna more pee than up the Yeah, you just you pee it out or you poop it out. And so you end up with expensive toilet products and that's about it. And you're not absorbing it. So how do you make sure that those things get absorbed? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, a couple of different areas. One, like we rely heavily on nutrient forms that have good research around their bioavailability so that they are better absorbed and processed in the body. So this would be um, like a methylcobalamin for B12 versus a cyanocobalamin, which is a mm-hmm. sort of a cheap standard form of B12 that's used. There's better data around methyl kind of getting absorbed and being effective. Um, so going to a lot of that uh, research around absorbability, and then a lot of it is also looking at nutrient pairings, like Currently, we do not have iron in our prenatal, which might Mm. be something that, again, Abby, to your question about calcium, maybe would be surprising of like, Mm -hmm. why isn't iron there? But that was because iron competes with other minerals to be absorbed. You actually don't want to take iron at the same time as calcium or magnesium. So we sell a separate add-on iron product. And then the reason that we picked iron to be held separately versus those other two is that iron can actually be harmful um, if you take too much of it. And because most pregnant women's iron levels are regularly getting tested, we think it's easier for someone to dose appropriately um, than magnesium or calcium, which aren't really getting tested. And mm-hmm. um, so you can kind of titrate iron up accordingly. Hmm. I have to say that one thing I've seen over the last couple of years that makes me real nervous is as an OB-GYN is everybody's taking magnesium and they're taking magnesium for all these reasons. And I'm like, magnesium's used used for very certain things in obstetrics. <laughs> and it just makes me really paranoid. Like, you're- and is that kind of the magnesium that's 
an unbioavailable that's usually used for loosening bowels. Is that the the setting that you're thinking of? Right. Or they're using it for migraine prevention or just we're taking some magnesium because we decided to take some magnesium instead of it being in something that's an organized, thought out, like dedicated process. <laughs> yeah. And yes, I think it is helpful to sort of like have some organized thought around sort of anything that you're putting heavily into your body. I think the one thing that is comforting to that regard is that magnesium is so depleted from our soils and our food system Hmm. that magnesium is one of those nutrients that like pretty much everyone is deficient in at this point in time. And our practitioner base does really see strong benefits for um, migraines, Charlie horses, a whole host of things um, for like optimal magnesium levels. So we are a big fan, but magnesium is also one of those nutrients where um, form really matters. Um, because it changes um, the absorbability of the magnesium pretty significantly. Like you'll see magnesium oxide is basically used as a laxative um, mm-hmm. and sold yeah. commercially as a laxative because it's so unbioavailable. So your body mm. really can't break it down and absorb where mm. other forms um, like a magnesium citrate or a magnesium glycinate can be more readily available. So you can actually get the, the mag into your system. So along those same lines, we always get questions about folic acid, folate, L-methylfolate. What what type do you have in your in needed, and and what do you recommend? Yeah, we we recommend methylfolate, um, and that is what we have in the product. Um, we know that as of right now, uh, ACOG and CDC only recognize folic acid as um the only form of folate approved for pregnancy. We we disagree with that. A lot of their reasoning is that folic acid is the only one that has been specifically studied to Mm -hmm. prevent neural tube defects. Uh But there's a bunch of data showing that's implied around how a lot of it is serum folate levels and methylfolate does a better job at increasing your serum folate levels. So actually having usable folate in the body. Um, so, and there just hasn't been a research opportunity, I think, to, you know, no one wants to do a placebo kind of control. That's right. (laughs) Makes pregnancy really difficult. We, we would like to do a retroactive study and have a couple of conversations ongoing in that regard that we think could be interesting. Um, so we're, we're fans of, of methylfolate. And then we're also very big fans of choline, which is under talked about, but folate works synergistically with choline hmm. as part of that early neurotube formation. And hmm, choline okay. is number, another one of those nutrients hmm. that like is missing or at very, very low dosages in the vast majority of prenatals because huh. it's again, very bulky. Uh, what yeah. do you think about vitamin A and those derivatives? Cause that's another thing as an OBGYN, you worry about the teratogenicity or its its impact on birth defects on kids. And I oftentimes see people who come in and they show me, okay, I'm on this and this and this and this. And I look at all of them. And by the time I get up to you know what they're taking, it's like four or five, 600% of the RDA. And so I'm like, scale back on this one and this one and this one and yeah. that one. And so how how do you factor that in? What do you guys think? Yeah. About that? So two ways that answer that question. So one of the ways is like, I think we really recommend in pregnancy watching what you're taking across different brands and it's complicated. 
but you can load up on nutrient levels to a very unhealthy amount very quickly. And you guys more is not more, right? More is not better. It is not like folate, for example, is something that, um, we see people taking way too much all the time. You all probably see this in your fertility space a lot because a lot of like the A quality fertility support supplements have folate in it because Mm -hmm. of, you know, fertility benefits around folate, but then they're also still taking their prenatal and many prenatals have way too high. So they get to these crazy levels and the way that folate interacts with your serotonin neurotransmitters, it can really lead to pretty significant mood imbalances in women. So it Hmm. can be scary. And you think of these supplements as being pretty harmless, but they're not in certain occasions. So I think that is an important thing to say. And it's something that we really stress it needed. And we we think about all of our products. We now have almost 30 in a system. I know we don't want to divert too crazily to the other ones, but we want to make sure they work together and that you're not overdosing on any one of them. And so an important thing here is just because it's natural and it's something that's needed, that taking more <laughs> is not literally something that's needed. needed. That's great. I didn't even try to do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that there is the potential that you could take too much. Remember right. cyanide yes. and, we, and arsenic? We are focused are on what is the optimal dose and optimal, you can move away from optimal either with being too little or too much. Mm-hmm. And vitamin A to Dr. Carey's question is one that we see more often. There's a problem with too little Retin- um, of active form of vitamin A than not enough. Beta mm-hmm. carotene, unfortunately, has two problems with it. One, it um, you have to convert it into that active form of vitamin A to be usable by the body. And a lot of people aren't very um, good at that conversion process. And the second is beta carotene. The data increasingly shows it's just really unstable in Hmm. supplement form. So we don't think it really has a strong shelf life. We do use beta carotene in our product and we try to test it but we would be uncomfortable with beta carotene alone and want to use a retinol form as well. Be careful about the dosing, but the tetragenic kind of levels are way above anywhere that we dose in the product. And we do think the mm-hmm. benefit of having that active or more easily metabolized form outweighs um, the risk of not having any vitamin A because it is so critical for early childhood development. But it certainly gets a lot of confusion and a bad rap because you hear more regularly. At some point, people just pay more attention to like maybe the skin products and avoiding yeah. the retinal <laughs> products and the knowledge of what you're actually ingesting. So are there are there vitamin supplements, things that you uh, that your body needs that are just really hard to get? And even when you're on, you know, a good quality supplement uh, or prenatal that you just you have to pay attention to of I got to get this in my diet because it's really not well delivered in any other supplement form. That's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think. There's you mentioned selenium. You mentioned selenium. Selenium, L-selenomethionine um, is the, the form of selenium that we use. And that actually is really well delivered in supplement form. It's one okay. that's trickier to get through food. I feel like there's only certain food sources that are super high in selenium. You talk about like Brazil nuts and other things. <laughs> selenium can be supplemented well. We just think it's oftentimes it's a very expensive ingredient. So it's not dosed very high. And I think just awareness of the importance of selenium outside of maybe men and sperm 
just isn't talked about that much. Mm -hmm. So I think selenium can be supplemented well. I think a lot, Dr. Kara, to your question, probably gets less to can it be supplemented, but is it designed in a supplement properly? Like Mm -hmm. we get nervous in many cases around um, like CoQ10, probably Mm -hmm. a nutrient that you hear a lot in the fertility space or (laughs) omega-3s being mixed with other nutrients. They are pretty unstable and can oxidize pretty easily. So those are products that we like to be like sold separately on their own versus um, like we have an egg quality support and a sperm quality support. And then we sell a separate CoQ10 because we couldn't get comfortable with mixing the CoQ10 into those products around maintaining um it in a like sort of a non-impacted form. So what type of quality control do you do on your products? Yeah, because that's a big do. issue nowadays when it comes to yeah. supplements. I mean, it's scary. Yes. Like most there's no it, FDA regulation. There's no yeah. FDA regulation. I mean, it was funny because I think like 10 years ago, um, Consumer Reports essentially came out and was like, yeah, most of those vitamin companies aren't delivering what they think. And then there was a big paper like in the last six to 12 months that essentially said that within, you know, kind of published literature circles. So what what do you guys do to set yourselves apart? Yeah, it's a big problem. Um, we do third-party testing on every batch and consumers can ask for those um, by basically C of A results that explain the testing. So um, we do more extensive testing than what's recommended. The FDA does not, there are like regulations, there are guidelines for what the supplement industry should follow. It's just not like the pharmaceutical space where there's pre-market approval and regular checks to make Mm -hmm. sure people are actually following these suggested guidelines. And so it is very much still wild, wild west. Supplements are regulated like more like food effectively than they are Mm -hmm. like pharmaceuticals. So that allows for a lot of, you know, bad actors and the ability to like what the label says, the actual product with underlying doesn't reflect it. And um, yeah, so we use a a combo of um, sense of third-party testing. We hired a quality team very early in our business to stay on top of these things. Um, Basically annual um, audits and requalifications of our contract manufacturers and ingredient suppliers. And then another kind of helpful bet is our main audience has been, um, we sell with uh, about 4,000 practitioners who are regularly testing um, the nutrient levels of their patients. So they they let us know that they're actually <laughs> seeing results. <laughs> is there anything, so two halves to this question, is there anything that when you're taking any sort of item supplement that you really probably ought not do with it? So for example, you know, don't take iron with anything else you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, you know, calcium containing dairy products, you know, does that have the same effect? Should you avoid those while in the same meal as your vitamins? Like, is there anything like that where you really probably shouldn't put the two of those things together? Mixing and matching. Yeah. Mixing and matching, yeah. It's a really good question. So for sure, I think um, where you can, fat-soluble nutrients with fatty foods is fats like fats. But for a multivitamin overall, we just recommend taking it with food and it won't impact as the... Uh, absorption of the water-soluble nutrients. Um, and I think other rules of thumb, I mean, there's certain things of don't want to give exact medical advice, but K2 has blood thinning pro- properties. So you want to be oh, yeah. careful if you're on any yeah. blood thinners. There's some other like, you know, specific 
between nutrients and, um, you know, pharmaceuticals. Um, I mean, you don't want to heat your vitamins, so don't bake with them. We want, there's a number of people that, especially our prenatal multi-powder would love to like, and mm. it's sweet, make cookies or brownies with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a no-go. No. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just use it in the frosting, not the cooked baked good. Exactly. Uh, yeah, actually, I haven't. I hadn't thought about that, but I think it frosting, would be frosting. It's always a good idea, Carrie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. frosting would be uh, really it good. Would be delicious. So you might need to make some needed prenatal uh, <laughs> cookies or something. Um, I'm gonna say I can be your consultant for all things sweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, or anything yeah. chocolate, I can help on too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sounds like the the main things are make sure you're taking it with some type of food, so it's not landing on an empty stomach, and and just be aware of what else what all you're putting in your body at the same. What time. else you're taking? Yeah, especially if you're buying across brands to make sure there aren't um, interaction, or even with certain you know certain brands, there can be products that are not intended to take mm-hmm. together. But from our assortment, iron is really that that one that we want you to take at a separate time and we kind of like lay out those instructions pretty clearly. Okay, so I have a really off the wall question, but let me tell you where I'm coming from. In our field, you know, a lot of people, if they can't take things orally, if it upsets their stomach or or for some reason they have some systemic response that we're trying to avoid, they know what I'm about to ask. We actually have people take medicine vaginally because it absorbs a lot more quickly. It gets closer to the uterus. So in the realm of thinking about ways things are absorbed, have you guys ever thought about doing that? Would that be useful? Would people absorb things? Would they absorb vitamins through the vagina in the way they do orally or is that crazy? (laughs) Maybe certain vitamins would do that's why this is called uncensored. We talked about we talk about uncensored things. Brian's like I definitely was not expecting to ask (laughs) (laughs) you take vitamins through your vagina. (laughs) No, this is normally the type of question that I ask and I am not asking this one. It is all sweet little southern girl. (laughs) I would be worried since pH of the vagina matters so much. Yeah, that's probably how pH of the pH of the stomach and the pH of the vagina are probably not that far off, are they? I don't think. No, I don't know. Yeah, but I think you you don't want... Yeah, I think the, the, the vagina's pH, I just think of as being more like sensitive that you can throw that off more easily and you wouldn't want the vitamin, but... um. Okay, maybe you should look into it, Ron. Well, maybe this is yeah, going to be your next, your next, next thing. thing. <laughs> I've not thought of that before. It's a new one. I am a big fan, though, of um uh, vitamin IVs if you are deficient in oh. certain nutrients as a way to... like I Don't do the blood work. Like, don't do it ad hoc, but it could be a good way um to like from time to time boost certain nutrients if you are particularly deficient so i have a question this is a very practical thing for anybody who's visiting with most reproductive endocrinologists in the united states so i'll just like throw this out there so we do a crazy amount of testing. I'm going to be very honest most of the testing you're referring to there is none of us doing that Mm-mm. And so, I mean, besides like, like the vitamin D, besides like vitamin D, and honestly, I don't even test for vitamin D. I just tell everybody folic, to take it because I assume they're deficient. Like, what is what is the practical way to kind of make this happen and to share this with our um with our patients and for our listeners with your friends? And so, like, I mean, if if you go to your REI and you're like, I want my selenium levels drawn. You're going to look at you like you have two heads. You're gonna you're (laughs) gonna get this like blank look. Like 
yeah, no, you can take your vitamin. And then like, how do you maneuver this? Who should like we involve in this? Like, what's the best way to make this this happen? If we're, if we're not, I mean, most reproductive endocrinologists are not natural paths. I mean, we're just not. Now, um, so I think that's one of the areas of advocating for more of that nutritional education. The practitioners that do the most mm-hmm. nutritional testing are naturopaths, functional medicine doctors, and, and then nutritionists, because I think they're the ones that are really heavily trained in nutrition and can interpret these panels. Mm-hmm. So outside of going to them, um, there are you know some companies that are starting to make certain nutritional tests more accessible to the average consumer. Like Everly Well is one of them. They don't have super complete panels. It's more like ad hoc. We are in process of hopefully offering um, a panel soon. The current nutritional panel that we like the most is from a company called Vibrant America. And we're partnering with them on a clinical study that will be launching this fall to look more comprehensively at perinatal nutritional status across um, supplements that women are taking. And um, they are increasingly offering basically the ability to order their test on direct-to-consumer off of certain practitioners' kind of website. So um, we can probably, I can probably send you a couple of links for you all to add in to the show notes if that's interesting, if folks um, are curious about ordering those tests themselves. And then we are hoping to have a prenatal adjusted version on our site at some point in the future. A lot of the trickiness is they might order that test, but then you need a, a physician that can actually help you interpret it. Well, you're probably going to need a nutritionist or somebody like that to help interpret it because I I can say that in the times that somebody's brought something like that to me, I'm kind of like, okay, I can look at the red and I can look at the green and I can figure out where (laughs) you need to be. But like, as you said- how you can think about it too, in some ways, was just like, Sarah, Susan, how you're saying, I don't even test for vitamin D. I just assume you're deficient. So I put you on that. And in some ways, that was kind of how we designed our prenatal multivitamin because we had enough test results across um, thousands of practitioners that we're working with to be able to anchor towards like, hey, baseline, this is going to be much more supportive than um, any prenatal you would otherwise be on and safe enough that anyone can take it. There will be certain circumstances where I would say ours is kind of the most supportive prenatal out there. But there are circumstances if you want to get, you know, more in depth and do a bunch of nutritional testing, you might tailor a few like take more B6, take more magnesium, take more D. Um, but that is really for like optimizers that um, a lot of it can be grounded in, um, you know, general population and what is um, what is better than what exists right now. Hmm. Interesting. Thank you so much for all of your information. Yeah. Very appreciative. And um, before I before I forget and before people start clicking off, we have a code. And so oh, yeah. you go to the website, thisisneeded.com and to get 20% off the first um, the first month of vitamins, put in the code FDU for Fertility Docs Uncensored, FDU. So go to thisisneeded.com and take a look. We we appreciate the thoughtfulness and we appreciate the um, the science and the background that you... Yeah, absolutely. Because having, having reputable people is fantastic, especially for the things that we don't... We do every day, but don't really do every day, so... 
Awesome. Well, it's an honor to be on. And then, yeah, if any of the listeners have any questions, um, we are happy. You can DM us at, at needed on Instagram or hello at thisisneeded.com. And we have a, a team of folks who would love to talk uh, renewal nutrition. Fantastic. Awesome. You we may DM you, you too. Please <laughs> do. <laughs> um, so to our audience, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for more. Um, reminder, we have the conference coming up on October 28th, 2023 in New Braunfels, Texas, between Austin and San Antonio. And so come, come to our website and take a look at registration. We would love to see you in person and are super excited about the thought of getting to meet everyone. Stop by Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a like and a follow and subscribe. You can also visit fertilitydocsandcensor.com to submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We love episode ideas. So let us know what you're thinking and when to hear. And as always, this podcast is intended for entertainment. It's not a substitute for medical advice from your own physician. All right. We'll be back soon. See ya. Bye. Today's episode is also brought to you by A-Life Health. Managing IVF just got easier. Download the A-Life app today for easy to use test result tracking, medication and appointment reminders, and a timeline to prepare you for the next steps. Your IVF journey all in one place now available on the Apple App Store.